0: Hello, and welcome to A View from the Perch, a podcast covering important financial topics from the perspective of a financial advisor and an experienced certified financial planner. Each week, we give a brief market update, discuss current economic events, analyze and debate highlighted stocks, and provide education on a financial subject. Now, here are your hosts, Bill Parrott and Spencer Inglekev. All right, Bill, Angel, questions. How are the markets?
1: Well, uh, they've taken a turn for the worse over the last week. Uh, inflation numbers continue to come in hot. Uh, the 10 year treasury is now above 4%. A lot of people are moving money to treasuries. So uh, the SP 500 is down about 2%. Small caps are down about a percent. International stocks down one and a quarter percent, and long-term bonds are down three percent. Oh wow! So, uh, fixed-income investments, bonds, are taking the brunt of it. Uh, Obviously, when rates rise, bond prices go down. But uh, people are concerned that rates and inflation are going to stay elevated for some time, and you know they're they're probably right. You know, we could be at this level for quite a while, range-bound for quite a while. We're There's not a big catalyst for an upside, not a huge catalyst for a downside. So could be a whole lot of nothing here for a while. Yeah, I mean, the Fed hasn't changed their stance that they're going to raise a
0: couple more times and then keep it stabilized. So it's intriguing that long-term bonds are taking such a hit where people just more optimistic than they should have been when it comes to those
1: investments? Well, it's math, you know, and just when rates go higher, bond prices go lower. And so now the longer term part of the curve, 10, 20, and 30 years are starting to rise. They were falling mm-hmm. and now they're rising to catch up with the uh, the two year yeah. um, and the one year and the six month, you know, six month and the one year over 5%. So bonds are resetting. And the Fed has always said they're going to be data dependent, mm-hmm. and the data now is coming in hotter than expected by 0.2 percent. Though, well, it's it's numerous numerous yeah. reports, and so you know, if it was just one, we could mm-hmm. say, okay, that's a one off. But uh, personal consumption, uh, PPI, CPI, uh, they're they're all coming in mm-hmm. above expectations, and so. Um, You know, whether it's 0.1, (laughs) 0.2, it it doesn't matter at this point because the people who are bearish, the people Mm -hmm. who are wanting, well, not necessarily wanting the market to fall, but are concerned about the market falling, you know, that's fuel for them. They're saying, hey, these data points are coming in hotter than expected. That's what the Fed looks at. The Fed's going to keep raising rates. Uh, and therefore, we're going to sell stocks and bonds and rates are going higher. Mm. And uh, until we get a break, um, you know, it's pretty much going to be this way. Yesterday, I looked at from 1994 to 1995 when the Federal Reserve raised rates 100%. I looked at what the market did from the very first rate raise to the last one. Mm-hmm. And you know, the market was basically flat. Um, and bonds were down uh, a couple percentage points, but not not like what we've been going through lately. Mm. Uh, but it was pretty interesting. So the Fed raised rates 100% in 94, and the market didn't really – it was down, but not not significantly. Interesting. So how much do you attribute kind of the
0: of market to like the February lull, or do you think this is kind of a reoccurring theme that's going to happen throughout the year?
1: Well, it's it's recurring as long as the, the data comes in mm-hmm. hotter than expected. So I think the data is real. I mean, that's the, the, the points that have been coming in lately. Again, PCI, PPI, mm-hmm. CPI, those have been strong numbers and above expectations. And so I don't think it's a seasonal thing right now. I think it's the, the data yeah. where the Fed's looking at these these inflation metrics coming in saying, hey, look, we told you inflation is not tamed yet, so we're going to continue to raise rates. Interesting. And that's what I think is happening right now. Makes sense. Okay. Well, so just be really
0: looking forward to those datas and trying to make sure you keep an eye out on those, and those are going to kind of be the
1: indicators of the market. Got to look at the data. You know, uh, what do they say in basketball? The ball don't lie. The ball don't lie. And... Uh, <laughs> I think right now, until there's a break in the data, Mm -hmm. um, there's no reason for the Fed to stop and there's no reason for rates to come down. And so we could be in this Mm. never, never land of not much happening right now um, where you don't have much upside in stocks or bonds and you don't really have much downside in stocks or bonds. So it's kind of a holding pattern, which is not a fun place to be in because it's like, well, we're, nothing's happening, you know, (laughs) what's going on. And I, I think um, in a scenario like that, you know, people want to know when Mm is it going to break and well, you
0: just got to get the data. Just got to get inflation tamed and then rates to stabilize. Yes. Perfect. Okay. So little bleak but they're still we're just in a holding pattern so not necessarily bad or good we're just we're just waiting <laughs> yeah
1: well you know if you've been on a flight and you're trying to land and the pilot comes on and says mm-hmm. hey we're going to be in a holding pattern for a little bit you just go round and round in circles and sometimes it's uh you're not up there that long other times they move you to a different <laughs> airport it, it just really depends and You know, it's frustrating when you are on a flight and you hear, hey, we're going to be in a holy pattern. Everybody is like, oh, yeah, here we go. You know, because you can't do anything right. You just go in circles. And and, but that's kind of where we are right now, unfortunately.
0: Luckily, the year's still young. So we shall see. Um, Let's transition to our empowering education. And this week we want to talk about 403 B's, what they are, how do you use them, who can use them. So I think we should just
1: start off on the baseline. What is a 403B? Well, most people are familiar with a 401k plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a 403B is the same thing, except it's for nonprofits, faith-based organizations, and the like. Uh, And there's also a 457, which is for government employees. But the 403B is for uh, nonprofits and religious organizations. Again, everybody has pretty much heard the term Mm -hmm. 401k. And a 403b is for nonprofits and you know, schools yeah. and whatnot, and uh, and we'll get into it, I'm sure. But I think most people equate 403b plans to like teachers, mm-hmm. like oh, I have to get a new 403b plan this year. Um, but it's 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 just another retirement vehicle, mm-hmm. same features as a um, uh, as a 401k plan, same structure. Mm-hmm. Contribution amounts, everything, but it's just for nonprofits. So, what's why did the
0: government create a 403b instead of just saying, all right, nonprofits and uh, faith-based organizations just have a 401k as well?
1: That's a great question. <laughs> you know, uh, when, when you look at, and there's been people that have made the argument why you just have a 401k for everybody, mm. for profit, nonprofit, government. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer for <laughs> you. Because um, there's no, I mean, if you look at them, there's just very little difference. I can't really find a significant difference between a 401k and a mm-hmm. 403b plan.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the major misconceptions is that this 403b, because it's a little bit more exclusive, exclusive exclusivity always in our minds equates to better. Mm -hmm. However, there's really not much of a difference. You said maybe like the upper testing, um, which benefits the employee. Maybe, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's it's this question of um, like what's really the additive, and then let's dive into kind of the misconceptions of it. So first, just because of exclusive doesn't mean it's better. That's the first misconception. No. second is when you hear 403B, insurance gets mentioned in the same breath every single time and so they're linked yeah and which it doesn't have to be right no so kind of why are insurance just so attached to this 403b plan that how is that somewhat of a deterrent sometimes with these plans
1: yeah well it's a huge deterrent because you're right most people think oh I, 403b i have to go with an insurance mm-hmm. company and uh and teachers uh i'll pull them out for a second. Um, Typically they have like a job fair in the fall and all the 403B providers are theirs. Hey, come use my 403B, use mine, use mine. And so it's not uncommon for a teacher to have two, three, four, or five different 403B plans because they don't mm-hmm. realize that they could just set up one 403B plan yeah. and fund it, but uh, they're commission based. Mm-hmm. And so the the insurance companies and agents make a lot of money off them. Uh And we helped uh, a coach at our local high school here. He had a 403B with an insurance company. His fees were over 3% per year. And I said, let's move that to Vanguard. His fee is like 0.08 right now. And he was not aware that he had another option. He thought he had to go with an insurance company. I said, no, you can go with anybody that offers a 403B. In this case, Vanguard has a very nice 403B plan. But most people who have a 403B, like certainly at the school level, uh, were sold by an insurance agent. And and, and it's always had that uh, tag that, hey, if I do a 403B, it has to be with an insurance yeah. company. And we're finding out, uh, you know, when we're doing reviews, we're seeing plans and accounts that are insurance companies and the fees are just outrageous. And we're telling you right now, you don't have to go with an insurance company to set up a 403B. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, let's make the distinction between the the high sales commission product versus, like you said, the Vanguard, maybe an index fund or a target date fund. Mm-hmm. So with the commission products, the reason why it's such a high fee, because the seller has to get compensated. Gotta get paid. And then instead of having, like you said, target date fund whose expense ratio is maybe 0.08, yeah, versus an annuity product, mm-hmm. which this fees are probably going to be in the upper threes. And mm-hmm. so, is yeah. that just a function of having to pay the the seller in yeah. order to that commission? That's the reason why the fees
1: there. Yeah. It's uh, the seller's got to get paid. And any anytime there's an incentive for a commission, the fees are always going to be higher. And that insurance agent, you know, they might make, you know, five, six, seven 7% commission yeah. on each 403B cell. And the insurance company has to pay them out for their efforts. Uh, but the sheep, Don't know that they're getting slaughtered in this situation and uh, it's brutal. And if with education and hopefully this helps somebody out, they can go to Vanguard and open a 403B and save two to 3% a year. On their yeah. for on their plan.
0: So so how does that work? Because I know 401ks you have to be attached to the company. So how are you able to go to a different custodian, non insurance agent? Do you just say, hey, I'm working for X nonprofit, X school district, and then like how does that work as an individual investor?
1: So there's so school district has connections with all our, a lot of mm-hmm. vendors. Uh, if it's a nonprofit, typically you just have one, one custodian. Yeah. Um, so if you work for a nonprofit. You were going to go with that nonprofit's 403b plan, yeah. but teachers can go anywhere. They can go to Vanguard. They can go to Fidelity. They can go to Northwestern Mutual. They can go anywhere because of the agreements with the school district. Okay, and so it's the the contract is with the teacher and and the provider. So
0: that's much different than the norm of the business is because normally your company you're attached to whatever yep. company you've chosen. Well, school districts because it's so far-fetching, they have different
1: connections. Yeah, yeah. and uh and school districts typically don't contribute for teachers. Mm-hmm. But if you again if you work for a nonprofit, um uh, let's say you work here in Austin for the Lance Armstrong Foundation yeah. and they have a 403B and you're employed by the uh the Lance Armstrong Foundation, you're gonna go with that 403B. Yeah. If you work for Goodwill Uh, United Way, um, you know, pick an organization and you're an employee, you're going to go with that 403B plan. But teachers can go anywhere.
0: Okay. So just outside of teachers, which makes total sense. Perfect. Um, So with kind of this idea of starting a 403B, let's talk to the administrators how do I see my fees? Like, how do I know if I am being fleeced and what are kind of my options after I have that realization or not?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. They could look at the summary plan description. Uh, certainly their statements, their statements will show their fee mm-hmm. schedule on there. And then the the, the administrator has a document, uh, it's 408 B2, I believe mm-hmm. it is, um, that shows their fees and whatnot, but they can go in to their plan, anybody, and see what the expense ratios are for the funds. Yeah. Um, And then they can get an overall expense ratio for the plan. So if they go look at their investment lineup, um, uh, it'll show returns, uh, symbols, fees, everything. Mm. So they could look pretty quickly. But if you're an employee, and you are an expensive plan, there's not a lot you could do because you can't go yeah. anywhere else. So you need the administrator to say, hey, we're going to look for a more economical, uh, more employee-friendly plan.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think this topic is, I think near dear to our hearts because we're both very nonprofit-based. I used to work kind of with a bunch of nonprofits, and this is, I think, a a real big issue that we're seeing in this space, Mm -hmm. uh, just to give anecdotally, nonprofits are struggling to eliminate all overhead. Like that's that's exactly, and in order for a nonprofit to even offer a retirement plan, that's gonna take a huge expense Mm -hmm. for them. So if you're listening to this and you know a nonprofit or you are a nonprofit, that's why we're really trying to create this education because there's better avenues It'll be better for your employees because they're going to be able to pay less fees and less overhead for you. Because um, we already know that nonprofits, you're scraping everything single every single thing you can because you're you're doing that nonprofit organization. So that's really our heart behind what we're trying to do here. Um, it's really helping out these four uh, these nonprofits and these religious based organizations.
1: Yeah, and a lot of times again they just don't know. Mm-hmm. Again because 403B insurance agent, uh, they go hand in hand and they, again we're telling you you don't don't have to do that. Uh, Vanguard, Ascensus, there's a lot of companies out there uh, Empower that offer more attractive options for for really anybody. Yeah. And it, again if you go with an insurance company, it's it's commission based. Fees are going to be very high, and you're going to get fleeced. Yeah, so I think just
0: summing it down, the first step is just take a look at that statement, see what's going on. And if you're a teacher, take a look at how many 403Bs you own, yes. apparently the fees you're paying, and then just
1: consolidate and get under a effective, a cost-effective plan, absolutely. That's great advice. And, and, and again, I'll just echo that. If you're a teacher out there with multiple 403B plans... Consolidate them into one and, mm. and do it at Vanguard and lower your cost, and, and, and do yourself a favor. It'd be easier to manage. Um, your fees will go down yeah. and, and you don't have to open another 403B ever again. So if you go to a job fair, don't get sold that, hey, you need another mm. 403B for diversification purposes. It's not the case. Run. Get out of there. Yeah, and uh, consolidate and and lower those fees. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's very educational. Thank you, Bill. And now we're going to transition into our intriguing issue, and the one I have this week is, it's actually pretty intriguing. I'm not not to be redundant, but it's the uh, wallet did a study of the top 100 happiest cities in the United States of America. Oh, yeah. And you'd be pretty surprised which ones kind of made the list. So I'll tell you the top five. So it's Fremont, California. Yes. at number one. Been there. The happiest city. And this is due to like, I think, 50 to 60 psychological factors, such as salary, cost of living, mm. stress, environment, weather, things of that nature. So Fremont, California, number one. Number two. San Jose, California. Wow. So each is kind of making been, it and been there too? Yeah. You think, oh, well, it's just sunny weather, you know, that's easy. But the next one is Madison, Wisconsin. Ooh, so, College <laughs> town. Yeah. dog there. And the fourth one is Overland Park, Kansas. Ooh. At all places, the Midwest. Yeah. yeah. And that's about as landlocked as you can get. I think they have a lot of fountains there. Yeah, yeah true. Uh, and then the fifth mm. is San Francisco, uh, California, which <laughs> which we've heard horrible things about. But um, it's still top five. Who would have thought? But I
1: have a question for you. Which do you think
0: of the Texas cities is the highest?
1: Oh, man. I'm going to go... Uh I want to say Austin but it's probably some someone in the Dallas area like McKinney or something like that close it's Plano Plano. Plano yeah. and at
0: 29 really yeah so in Austin if you had to guess where do you think they put that up
1: 54
0: 49
1: 49 so sold my city short yeah
0: exactly Texas is is, is kind of struggling honestly because you have cat there's about six of the top ten were in California. And so there's this idea that all these Californians are coming to Texas for a better life. Yeah. But you're leaving the happier cities.
1: (laughs) Well, I grew up in Southern California. So any Northern California city to me seems to be like an unhappy place. (laughs) And how can you not put on that list? Well, maybe it is San Diego or Laguna or Huntington Beach or something like that. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I have a buddy that lives in Bend, Oregon. Mm. And Bend kept... popping up all these best places to live, happiest place on earth, best place for adventures. And I called them and I said, Hey, why does your city always appear on these lists? And he says, well, all the writers live here. <laughs> so, uh, the, the people that write for outside magazine that do all these studies, they, they lived in bed instead yeah. of so like, Hey, I'm going to write about my city. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, those lists probably change often. Oh, absolutely. I, I would think. And, yeah. uh, I've been to Fremont, I've been to San Jose, I've been to San Francisco, and maybe they are happy places, but (laughs) I've been to happier places.
0: That's fair. It
1: is very subjective, but I just thought it
0: was so funny of Fremont and then San Jose and then Madison and
1: Overland. Madison, they compare a lot to Austin in terms of Mm -hmm. the college town, Uh, and it's supposed to be beautiful uh three months out of the year the rest <laughs> is just <laughs> horrible <laughs> so what would that be july august july
0: maybe June, july, June, august. july august yeah we can see the sun and not have to be snowed in yeah um, yeah so that's uh it's always interesting because you see a lot of people moving to austin because it's supposed to be this fantastic city but yeah it's at the, kind of the mid-tier when it comes to top happiest
1: well, it's interesting because um, the you know a lot of people like to see their their city on the number one list, mm-hmm. but then that means people are moving here, exactly. and then the ironic thing happens: more people move here, and now people don't like living here because there's so many people here. So now it flips. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, look at all the traffic! Look at all the home prices going higher, and and so. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that, uh, it, it, well, hey, if people want to move to San Francisco and wow. Fremont, <laughs> God bless them. Go ahead. Perfect. So what's your intriguing issue? Well, I was going to talk about ChatGPT, but I'm going to piggyback on yours okay. because I, I recently read a book called The Longevity Economy. Mm. And it talks about cities and um, access to transportation for the elderly Um, And the number one takeaway for me from that book was community. Hmm. And so if you are living in a happy city and you're involved in a community, that should increase your longevity. And the interesting thing that was uh, 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 also in this book was the technology and how it's helping the elderly uh, get around Um, from like Uber Eats, have food delivered. Uh, Uber, driving them anywhere, uh, a company called TaskRabbit. So if you need anything fixed. Uh, and then they talked about the iPhone, how it's really becoming a um, not a medical device, but a safety device. Like if you are out and about, you can call somebody if you need help. You know, if you fall and you're wearing your phone or watch it, it, automatically, you know, does the SOS right, and things like that.
0: Voice activation with Siri, it's just on the counter as well.
1: Yeah. And so whether you, um, you know, if you have some, some issues with, you know, hearing or aging, or eyesight, you know, the iPhone is a big thing, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, to piggyback on that happiness study, Uh, One of the things for uh, longevity was just being in a community around people. And uh, the author was talking about, you know, the villages, you know, we've had some clients move there and, and he's not totally in favor of those communities because they're so homogeneous, Mm -hmm. right? It's 55 and above or whatever. And he was more in favor of communities where there's diversity young old white black you name it because you get different points of view and he felt it added to a more vibrant lifestyle Mm -hmm. like if you um could age in place in a community so that was one of the uh, advantages to having a longer happy healthier life
0: yeah and that's i've always been intrigued by that kind of sociology of community and I guess when do you think they're going to start making these villages but communal base so not necessarily a retirement home mm-hmm. but saying in order to be a part of this community and live here there's certain things you have to interact now you should be able to want to that if you're going to live there in the first place True. but I think that might be a pretty intriguing business opportunity for some real estate developers.
1: So you're saying you have to do certain things if you move into the community? Saying
0: you have to be a part of the community in certain ways, whether that be so if they have a like a greenhouse, somebody has to be taking care of that, landscaping mm. or just like community gatherings, making sure you're there. Kind of like, like a dorm room where we had to go. Like to a commune. Meetings. You're talking about
1: a community. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Like I and it it might be <laughs> yes, but I think with Technology with rising prices, with people not knowing their neighbors anymore, there might Mm -hmm. be a diversion from the mean on this and say, yeah, people might subject themselves to a little bit more rules in order to have a little bit more faithful community.
1: Well, nowadays people drive home, drive into their garage, shut the garage, go in the house, and then they leave for work when the sun's not up yet. They come home after the sun's down and yeah, well, it goes back to love your neighbor too, right? Sure. and I think you said it, you should want to be in those communities yeah. and, and, and be a participant. Um, yeah, my daughter recently moved and we were obviously new to the neighborhood cause there was a lot of activity there and, and no one even said yeah. hi or waved or knocked on the door and said, welcome. And, uh, it kind of hurt. Yeah. Um, Cause you just want, Hey, welcome. You know, how can I help you or whatever, yeah. or even yeah, just saying hello, uh, whatever, you know? And, uh, so I think going back to your, your, your topic of happiness mm. and the longevity community is a vital part yeah. for not only longevity and happiness and health, but safety Sure. You know, if you know your neighbors, you're more likely to not harm them either. Good point.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, Bill, thank you so much for your insight. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, Anything you want to leave the listeners with?
1: Well, as always, uh, stick to your plan. Uh, Think long term. I, I know it's frustrating in the market right now, but things always recover. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, parrotwealth.com, where you can learn more about everything we have to offer at Parrot Wealth Management. That's our view from the perch. See y'all next week.